Hello and welcome to this podcast from the Chartered Institute of Patent Attorneys. My name is Lee Davis, the Chief Executive of SEPA, and through this series of podcasts, I'm going to invite SEPA members and some of our key partners to share their stories with me. I am joined in this adventure by my co-host, SEPA Council Member and Honorary Secretary, Gwilym Roberts. We are, in fact, the two IPs in a pod. Hi, you, Gwilym. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Lee. I've been wanting to ask you a question following on from the last podcast. Yeah, far away. How is your sexy tortoise? Ah, oh, he's fine. He's absolutely fine. We've managed to find a couple of old crocs, you know, those funny plastic um, shoe things. And he, he thinks that they're both lady tortoises. So he's, he's happily bashing those around the garden at the moment. You have a swinging tortoise. Um, he, he's liberal with his affection, shall we say. Anyway, today uh, we're due to talk about mental well-being, particularly during this coronavirus outbreak. May the 18th is the start of Mental Health Awareness Week in the UK, and this year the focus is on acts of kindness. Gwilym and I have promised to be especially kind to our guests today, and how excited are we by the three people we've got joining us. Firstly, we're joined by Andrea Brewster. Andrea is is the lead executive officer of IP Inclusive and a real influencer on all things diversity and inclusion in the world of IP. Say hello now, Andrea. Hello now, Andrea. (laughs) (laughs) We're also joined by someone who has been a big, big supporter of IP Inclusive. Ben Buchanan is the Deputy Director of Patents at the UK IPO and is the IPO's diversity and inclusion champion. Welcome, Ben. Hello, Lee. Hello, Grillam, and thanks for having me. Yeah, you're more than welcome. We're very pleased to have you with us. And completing our lineup, we've got SEPA's membership officer, Fran Bleach. Fran takes a lead role in wellbeing at SEPA and is one of our mental health first aiders. Fran is also the technical wizard behind these podcasts. So, Fran, welcome to the other side of the microphone. Hello, this is all very strange. You're, you'll be like a duck to water, mm-hmm. I'm sure. <laughs> So with the theme of Mental Health Awareness Week being kindness, I thought I would kick off by asking each of you, even you, Gullum, if you want to join in, if you've experienced any kind acts during the recent weeks, who wants to go first? Go on then, Fran. Okay. Um, So uh, very recently, I was having a bit of a a rough couple of days. And as you do, I took to social media to have a little vent to my friend group. Um, I just wasn't feeling 100%. And then... Uh, a few hours later, I had a knock on the door. One of my friends who lives locally had put together a little care package and dropped it on the doorstep and run off, um, <laughs> which <laughs> which really made my day. Anyone else? Anyone, that's great. Anyone else got some kindness that's been bestowed upon them? Well, Lee, I, I've been giving this a little bit of thought and I've failed to come up with anything really surprising or profound I, I had a short call this morning to our IT help desk having s- s- struggled a bit with my uh, my IT this morning and I was called back and it was sorted out in 20 minutes and she said I called you up straight away I wanted to sort it out because if I'd left you in the queue you'd have been able to do nothing for at least 40 minutes she said I thought I'd do that because it would get you up and running more quickly and actually on reflection I, I think it's a small but it's a really important thing and that was an act of kindness yeah you know that reducing the kind of disruption and uncertainty when there's enough of it out there um made a big difference albeit in a small way cheers ben any anyone else I think I've I've been struck by just the loads, loads of kindnesses from people who are still prepared to help me with IP inclusive stuff with so much else going on in their lives. And that's not a kindness for me. That's a kindness for everyone in the profession. And that's really striking. 
And then on a more personal note, of course, there's the family members who make sure they always come back with a bar of chocolate when they've gone out for the essential shopping. Uh, we all know how important that is for you, Andrew. That matters, yeah. yeah indeed. Uh, how about you, Gwilym? Anyone been nice to you for a change? Well, I was going to major on the fact that I got given a piece of cake today, but I thought that's not really the stuff of motivational posters. So I, I cast a bit more deeply. And um, one of the things I'm doing a bit on my job is kind of phoning around other people saying, how are you doing and is everything okay with you? And I've been really touched because almost everybody has answered that question and then said, and how are you back to me? And that is a real recognition that everyone knows we're all in the same boat and that um, just because you're the person who makes the phone call doesn't mean that you might not welcome the question back yeah, yourself. Yeah. So I found that very kind. Yeah, so that's a good one. Uh, my, mine's a personal one. Uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law live up in the wilds of Aberdeenshire, David and Colette. All the rest of the family are dotted around the south coast, so they're sort of 700 miles away from us and obviously we can't make trips up and see them, which we do, we do quite a lot. And um, we had something appear in our porch earlier on in the week which was um we opened up this random box that had appeared and it was one of these i won't give the brand name because that would be terribly unfair but it was one of these hot chocolate making machines so we've uh, which david and colette sent down because they thought that uh, we could at least drink chocolate and think of them during isolation so that's um that's gone down really well except for the strawberry caramel thing which was absolutely disgusting but um they uh the dark chocolate one was good Lee, I'm going to interrupt at that point. Here's my gesture of kindness to you. And, and perhaps I should have reflected on this as my own. I bumped into a friend on the way to the supermarket a couple of days ago. Uh, we remained more than two metres apart while having a conversation, during which he told me that you could now get different flavoured digestive biscuits. Well, I'm a big fan of the digestive biscuit, but little did I know you could get strawberries and cream, cherry and orange flavoured digestive biscuits. So my suggestion to you, if you uh, if you struggle to get on with your, your flavoured hot chocolates, just go and try a flavoured chocolate digestive. They're really very good. Wow, that's um, that's going to be my big takeaway from takeaway from today. Or the hope. My daughter, my daughter's going to go mad for that. She's an <laughs> avid listener of IP podcast anyway, but this should absolutely seal the deal. Yeah, I think I will send family members out for a different type of essential shopping from now on. So there's now going to be a run on digestive biscuits, yeah. and, and we will be the cause of that. Let's do some serious stuff, shall we? Uh, I'm going to start with you, Andrew, if that's okay. So IP Inclusive, what's it been doing to support people during the challenges that we've all faced over these last few weeks? I think the main thing we've been able to do is provide that sort of peer support network. We've, um, we've provided spaces where people can sort of share their experiences, their frustrations, um, so people have been able to post things on the LinkedIn groups and on the, the website blog. We've run virtual coffee mornings where people can sort of get together and have a little informal chat. And it, I think it's important that, you, you know, we're sort of the glue that holds that inclusive community together like that. People exchanging ideas and, and support is very, very important. We, we've tried to do some signposting as well to other sources of support and help, um, particularly at SEPA and Law Care and other people who are working in the sort of working from home space. We've run a couple of webinars, as you know, with SEPA and Law Care on mental health related things. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's just sort of being there for people, being a, a nice safe forum. And also through the support communities, making sure we keep an eye on what's happening to the underrepresented groups and that they're, they're still being looked after, even if they have very particular problems. And you say there's no shortage of people still coming forward wanting to help support IP Inclusive in all that it's doing? It's been absolutely brilliant. And actually, our, 
our posts on LinkedIn and the website are getting more reads, more comments now than they ever did before. I think people are looking to this community as, as something to sort of keep them going, really. And, and that's been really gratifying. And um, what can we look forward to? What's on the horizon? Loads more virtual events, I think, including the ones we were going to run as live events. We're now going to rerun yeah. as virtual events. And actually that's helping us reach more people it's a more inclusive way of communicating with people so you can expect a lot more of those both informal and also um sort of training and awareness raising things oh that's great i'll uh, i'll look forward to that and i know that um, because i've been involved myself recently you're doing lots of work with jonathan jonathan's voice around supporting mm-hmm. people at this time and that's um do you want to say anything about that what's what's to come we, yeah we are working with them and I, and I know they've got a couple of guidance booklets in the pipeline which should be out very soon specifically tailored for ip professionals um i'm also a law care champion so i work a lot with law care on the the various support projects they're running so um between us we're sort of doing as much as possible and i'm also looking to set up uh, a, a network of mental health first aiders within the ip sector so expect something to happen on that soon and fran i'm hoping I'm hoping you'll be involved with that as well. So Ben, can I um can I slide seamlessly over to you now? I know that the UK IPO had a fair challenge to move all of its staff to remote working. Um I know you've got many, many staff and spread across the country, and that would have been in and of itself a huge, huge task. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about um how that happened and also more importantly, how the IPO supports its staff. Yes, uh, of course, Lee, and it'll be a pleasure, thanks. So last week, our CEO, Tim Moss, spoke to a bit about the leadership and the logistics involved in mobilising everybody to work from home over a very uh, short period. I think 1,250 people work for the IPO, and something like 95% of those were moved to to be able to work remotely within two weeks. I'll focus a bit more on, on the wellbeing aspects, but what I will say is that the the leadership shown in making that transition while the world around us was changing so very quickly went a very long way to giving people some kind of certainty and reassurance during a period when uh, the sands were shifting and and, and people you know i think were, were really feeling the, the pressure of that so i would bracket the the way the ipo transitioned to a very different way of working but maintaining as far as possible our, our, our lights on and our virtual doors open into three different overall activities the first thing we did was we responded to the immediate situation as it unfolded the second thing we did was we reached out to our people to ensure that we had the right support processes uh, and communications in place and then the third thing was we've we, we've continued to reassure people about uh, the the current situation, plans for the future, and our expectations as to uh, the, the way that things will pan out over the short, medium, and longer term. So, in responding quickly, very clear communications were issued very regularly, centrally, and therefore they were largely consistent. They covered the things that people cared about uh, IT, the, the, the situation in, in respect of uh, keeping the business going and the fact that people were still going to be able to continue to do their jobs in some way. There are obviously some critical roles that were required uh, on site, and for some people the changes were far greater than for others, but for the most part we were all able to be reassured that we could keep working. There was also some very upfront reassurance about the provision, for example, of special leave to enable people to uh, be able to be confident that they could take the time 
that they would need for their family to cope with the changes that were going on around them, to reach out within their communities and so on, and settle themselves into a, a position where they would be able to continue to, to work. One of the things that I've spoken about previously that, that the IPO is, is quite big on at the moment is what we call the deal. And in a nutshell, it's behaving reasonably and responsibly to each other. And there was a great feeling, I think, that if the, if, if the organisation was able to treat its people reasonably and responsibly, then those people would, our, our people would behave reasonably and responsibly in return and be, do their very best to continue to work under very different circumstances. If I sort of think more about the, the reach out aspect, well, the IPO is in an extremely fortunate position to begin with in that we have internal mental health first aiders as well as one or two people who are mental health first aiders across the profession through the IP inclusive initiative. We have dedicated staff counsellors, uh, three people working uh, part or, or full time providing counselling services to our staff and we have established staff networks covering all sorts, well, most of the protected characteristics and a number of other differences and experience, life experiences that people will, uh, will identify with as well. I'll talk a little bit more about those in a moment. But in, in the reach out phase, our mental health first data team reached out to team managers and they said, look, if there's anybody who you think would benefit from direct contact, we will initiate it. Let us know and we'll do that. The mental health first aid has also made themselves available to teams to come along and just talk about the current situation, potential impacts on people and the support that, that's available for, for, for people within those teams and their managers. The staff counsellors did many of the same things. They, as we did, transitioned very rapidly to providing their same, uh, being able to do their roles and provide the same services online. So video appointments or telephone appointments for people who wanted to talk through particular issues or concerns and our staff networks mobilize very quickly as well in particular what we call our peer-to-peer -peer network which is a confidential network for people to share personal experiences around <clears throat> particularly mental health and, 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 and severe emotional challenges uh, I think which is our, our network for cognitive differences so autism dyslexia dyspraxia and so on uh, recognizing that for some people the changes particularly away from the workplace to sharing home and work perhaps your desk being you know two or three footsteps from your bed would be very difficult for some people to come to terms with and our carers network who I must say did a tremendous job almost from day one of realizing that the demands on carers would suddenly change fundamentally overnight and the consequences for some of those people that is the carers as well as the people they care for uh, would be profound and they, they did a brilliant job of proactively reaching out and supporting uh, the people within their networks and then on on reassurance the first thing I'd say is that there, there, there was a quick recognition that the pressures on our people were significant and the pressures on managers and supervisors uh, were, were equally significant and, and, and in some ways different. And it was nice that managers and supervisors were specifically recognised and offered the opportunity to talk about and share their experiences and access to certain resources uh, should they need them. The kinds of things that, uh, that that we did more widely was to encourage things like daily check-ins. So we were no longer walking into an office saying good morning to everybody and you know bumping into each other and spilling cups of coffee. So we have a daily check-in online for people to just join in and, and talk about whatever's going on around them. It, it needn't be, but it can be based around work. Uh, some of those meetings, the, the mics are literally left open all day. It's a bit like working with some background noise. You can hear, um, you know, cats, dogs and tortoises in the background. Um, you can hear people going and getting 
a cup of tea and if people want to just pipe up and, and have a conversation they can do that we use yammer an online uh, discussion forum and there's a virtual yammer tea point for example uh, people on that organized to bring your dog to work day so they sort of shared photos and experiences uh, of, of the animals <coughs> that, that they, sh they share their homes with um, we recognize that for a small number of people the transition to working from home really would present challenges which were going to be practically impossible to to overcome and um, for those people there was a lot of reassurance and support put in place very quickly around the provision of uh, leave access to uh, work, work resources so that they can do what they can but reassurance that for example productivity and, and, and utilization might not be up to the, um, uh, the, the sort of I, I think that's a really that's a really important point as well isn't it because um, people keep talking about this sometimes as being working from home it's not really these people who are imprisoned in their homes and are having to work and care and try and run their own lives yeah, yeah. And when people have said to me, how are you? I say, well, I'm okay. You know, I, you know, in some ways, I quite like having nothing to do except my very long to do list. And, and I've, I've got a family around me. I'm very happy. I, you know, I'm very lucky. I live in, I live in a, a nice area. Uh, but actually, the biggest challenge is the homeschooling and yeah, yeah. managing the emotions of my children and the impact that that then has on my, my ability to sit down and work when I can hear, should we say, some... Um, uh, some exuberant reactions to the, the the school tasks that are being asked of them in the background. It, it can be quite distracting, and and that's the challenge. Now that's that that's nothing compared to the challenge that some people are facing. People for, perhaps who live in a, in a rented property, so there's no point in doing any DIY on their own. Um, maybe their family are you know uh, somewhere away. Now that's a very different situation. And for those people, I think it's important to recognise and 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 support them as far as possible. There is a duty of care on. On managers and supervisors on, on, on people in the workplace to reach out and support those people even though as you say they might not be in work they might not even be at work but there's a there's a responsibility to provide support peer support for them nonetheless can I um can I bring Fran in for a bit now and if, if you don't mind come back to some of those support questions in a moment because I think I've got some follow-up questions there Fran so yeah. we moved to um remote working we went slightly earlier slightly before government um started to close london down yeah uh, i think i think that's worked by and large but you might want to say a wee bit about the circumstances that you and some of your colleagues work in and also perhaps you can tell us something about um how your work's changed in terms of your interest as a mental health first aider for sepa yeah absolutely so um we had a slightly different um move into the lockdown as we're a small office of 15 people in one room um with an open plan kitchen uh who are kind of used to living in each other's pockets um and just chatting very easily day to day and very close knit and then suddenly um realizing that you're not actually going to probably see those people face to face for quite some time and where you would just pipe up and ask a question is it really worth a video chat uh, is it an email is like, you know, it's adjusting to that, that new kind of circumstance and your new routine. Um, and I think there was a little adjustment period where everyone had to kind of feel out their own new kind of work cycle. Not everyone gets up in the morning and is raring to go. Um, there are definitely some of us who are more morning people than afternoon people. Uh, and it's just making sure that everyone knew, um, who was working when, um, when people could be reached out and contacted uh, especially with regards to the managers but 
it was early set in place by I think yourself and by HR that we were going to have all staff meetings every Wednesday as a sort of catch up um, not just necessary to discuss work but also just to make sure that we were checking in on each other and I can I, I know that our teams have been having weekly meetings as well with our managers to have more personal one-to-ones um, and catch up so we all know how everyone is doing and I mean those that have been in part discussing the news chatting about local gossip uh, and also work we are doing workly um, uh, yeah it's just it's been it's been different it's finding my feet as a mental health first aider in a way that I wasn't really trained for um, I was kind of prepared to be watching my colleagues body language and noticing if people were staying late or, or starting early and things like that things that aren't necessarily as obvious when you're not necessarily seeing everyone's faces every day um, but I've been having almost weekly catch-ups with our HR officer we've been discussing um, possibly how the move back into the office would look like and any kind of issues that might come from that um, with regards to for example myself I'm not uh, in the extremely uh, vulnerable group but I am in the vulnerable group um, and the thought of getting on the tube for me now is um, terrifying so I need to uh, consider how that looks for me and going back to work and also we need to take that in consideration for everyone um, because everyone has a different circumstance um, yeah I think uh, I think we've we, we've done very well in keeping up a good team spirit in the company we've had Chris Mercer running pub quizzes for us on uh, Fridays on zoom we've had um, little chat groups coming up we've had people volunteering for the uh the sepa quiz which we ran for the members it's it's been it's been very upbeat and very positive i've been um i've been truly astounded by the the way the staff have responded to this round i think um yeah i mean i always tell you you're a brilliant bunch but the sort of new skills that you folk have been picking up throughout this yourself around the podcasting mm. um others around trying to learn what they're going to need to know to make congress and other conferences become virtual it's been a real learning experience as much as anything else hasn't it yes very much so um i mean i've always been interested in like uh in sort of graphic design and uh video editing and sound editing but this has really given me an opportunity to kind of delve into that and learn a bit more and other people in the in the team are, are learning uh, audio editing to help out with for example with the podcast currently um two people in uh in neil's team are helping me put together a video for next week for world mental health awareness week um so yeah it's been it's been different challenges and being creative and being positive um in in different different ways but it's been very very rewarding um but um it did at first mean that i had to find my own feet with regards to where i was mental health wise like i had to find my own space in the house to work i had to make sure that i was okay before i could really sit down and focus on making sure that i was doing my job as a first aider yeah it has been a real test of um a uh, test of and example of uh, human resilience, this whole thing, actually. I think everybody's had to cope with it in their own way. Um, and I, I'm so inspired, genuinely inspired by 
all the different ways that people are finding of, of dealing with this. And some of the things that are appearing so rapidly, it's, it's really heartening to see how we, how we deal with it. One of the themes I think has come out of all three of these actually is, uh, and something worries me actually, is a lot of people, you know, step up very quickly saying, I'm not quite, you know, I'm, not, I'm uncomfortable, I'm not happy. I'm always worried about the ones that you don't hear from. That's the ones that really concern me. And Ben, your mention of the, was it the daily check-in, your kind of virtual tea point, if I may, that's brilliant. And I'm sure that you're willing to let other people try that one out. You know, somewhere you can pop in to replace that, that casual bump into that you used to have next to the water machine. But I do wonder how we find, how we make sure that the people who really, really need the attention are actually getting it because they might be the last ones to ask for it. Yeah, Gwilym, if I may, I think you have to make sure that people understand and believe it's okay to join in with that thing for half an hour a day and not do any work while you're doing it because you know the other seven hours you spend working will be so much the better for it it's a good opportunity to get to know your team and it's a good opportunity to just have a little bit of social interaction which is very important for those people that live alone but very important equally to maintain maintain the kind of team cohesion the point you make there about um people wanting to to join and, and of course you can't make anyone join is that it is apparent when people aren't taking part and it's I think important to understand that the reasons for that are, you know are okay and if not then to to be able to respond. So one of, one of the things that I've been saying throughout this and it'd be interesting to get um, your individual takes on this uh, and I often say this it's okay to not be okay isn't it? Yeah, but um, I would also add to that that you don't have to stay that way and it's also okay that you reach out. And But I think at first it is important to understand that, as you say, it's okay to be not to be okay. Um, but then um, I really do hope people feel like they have someone, at least just one person that they trust enough to reach out to, um, just to bring up that they're not feeling 100% uh, and that, maybe just get some outside perspective on what's going on. I think it's really important for people in, in sort of leadership and management positions as well to make it clear that it's okay not to be okay. Um, and I think what, one of the biggest responsibilities for leaders is just to be human, to show their own vulnerable side, um, partly because that makes them a better role model because other people can see that it's okay to be vulnerable. And partly because actually if you make yourself vulnerable, you empower other people. You know, you make it easier for them to step in and help you so they feel more valued, they feel more part of the team. So I think a bit of, a bit of human vulnerability is very, very important in leaders and then everyone else can follow that lead. I, yeah, I found it quite useful to, um, to share some of my experiences with the staff. I don't know, Fran might tell me that they're absolutely bored uh, with it, but um, I often tell... I wouldn't I'd, say that, Lee. <laughs> I, um, she said, I mean, she said it, that to me, Lee. <laughs> I'm an intermittent carer for my father-in-law. He's 96, so three of us take turns to go and stay with him for a week or so because he's not in care. He can look after himself largely, but he just likes the company really more than anything else. So we keep ourselves safe so that when we go over there, he's safe too. And uh, and I know that some of the staff are also in those caring positions, and it's it's quite nice to share that experience. When when I'm over there with him, it is tough. You can't do a you can't easily do one of these, for example, because he will just walk into the room even though you've asked him not to, uh, and he will burp loudly or make some silly joke and and you know these these are the um these are the things that we're all trying to deal with i'm so hardened to hear actually what andrew is just saying about the vulnerability thing 
Um, they keep sending me on leadership courses at the moment and vulnerability, showing vulnerability is something that's, that's you know, it is pushed quite hard. In a frankly slightly mercenary way, I think, for, you know, the spectrum of leadership courses you know, to, to build rapport and so on. But there's another point to that, I think, which is that I have a theory that kind of everyone's a leader in their own way. Everybody is in charge of something. And I suspect that there's lots of people who are in positions they wouldn't think of as leadership where they really feel that they can't show vulnerability to anyone because because it, it, it doesn't it doesn't do good for morale. And I think the message is that no, it's the opposite. Everybody wants to share being in the same boat. And it comes yeah. back to when you know when you ask someone how, how they are and they ask you back. Uh it's a, it's a lovely moment. I think Gwilla makes a really good point. I, I, I remember we discussed this a bit at the IP inclusive conference earlier this year. What I see is something of a dichotomy between authenticity in leaders and resilience. And I think authenticity and vulnerability and resilience is a far strong, stronger triangulation than just talking about the two on either end of an axis. So, so moving us on a wee bit, we talked a bit earlier about the need to, uh, Gwilym brought it up actually, how you identify those people who perhaps aren't, um, aren't coping if they're not prepared to come forward. Do any of you have any tips or hints on how managers, colleagues can spot the signs that someone might be having a tough time and what others can do to respond to that? A little thing I've spotted is someone's working pattern changes a little bit. They, they might be perhaps a little bit less efficient than they used to be. Um, and perhaps that's that's absolutely fine. It just means they're reprioritizing their lives, in which case, great. But I think what you have to do is is ask the question, you know, are you okay? And if you ask it in a suitably open way, often you're surprised at how people just suddenly unburden, you know, the floodgates open, and you can have a lovely conversation where you listen, you don't judge, but you get a better understanding of the context they're working in, and hopefully that makes them feel better too. But you notice it because of that slight change in the way that they interact with you. I, I agree. I mean, we've talked about the sort of how are you question. I have to say my pet hate is the conversation you have with multiple people every day when you're in an office face to face. Hi, how are you? Yeah, fine yourself. You have the whole conversation and neither of you stops at all. You just keep walking. Nobody stops and listens for the answer. So I think the thing to do is stop and listen for the answer. It's very difficult, isn't it, in an online world to pick up on non-verbal cues about how somebody is, but I think trying to tune into the, the inputs that we do have is really important. Things like working patterns, things like people's ability and, and comfort in communicating. Um, but um, but, but the, the only thing I think I can really add is to actually be proactive, particularly for those people that might potentially be vulnerable and sensitively and respectfully inquire. I certainly think, um, for example, our weekly all staff meetings have been very useful for that, for both the managers and, for example, for myself and the other mental health first aiders, because it gives us a chance to sit back and just um, hear people talking, see people um, if they're on camera, if they're off camera. And it, it, these are people who we know and we know their, their kind of the temperaments and their moods. Um, and it gives us a, a chance to kind of see is someone acting slightly different? Is someone off camera more frequently now, whereas they were turning their camera on before? Is someone acting out of character? Um, and it's giving us those chances to have that experience with them that we would have usually had in the office. So, that, yeah, thanks. All those were some really interesting insights, I think. I've got one last question, if that's okay to, to share with you, and I'm sure this is going to open up some more lines. 
it's an entirely open question. You will have all learned something from the experiences of the last seven, eight weeks. What have you learned that you might carry with you into the new world that we will almost certainly find ourselves in where perhaps we do work more remotely more of the time and that we are, when we are at work, we're more distant from people because there's going to be a need to be for some time. So what have you learned? What are you going to carry forward? Um, I've certainly learned that the virtual socialising with my friends and family is actually just as valid a means of socialising as going to the pub or seeing people physically. I really hope that moving forwards, people don't just stop things like virtual pub quizzes, um, virtual kind of just social hangouts. It, it means that I've got in touch with people I haven't seen for years. I've been able to get in touch with family abroad. It's it's been really encouraging, and a lot more people have, have started to become more comfortable with with virtual socialising. I do think moving forward, it's something I want to keep up. Although I am struggling for new ideas for pub quiz rounds. To be fair, there are only so many questions in the world. Andrea, Ben, how about either of you? Well, for my part, Lee, it's the it's 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 the the advantages of not being complacent to keep reflecting and reviewing even when things seem like they are going okay perhaps because they're out of sight and remembering that it is okay to talk about it it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to talk about it and that applies on a personal level as well as a corporate or even profession-wide level thank you andrea i think the key thing i've learned from this period which i hope i'll continue with is is to to give much much more thought to the circumstances that someone's working in and the challenges they're up against and, you know, sort of how and when and where they might be having to work, how they'll need to communicate, what support they'll need. And I mean, it's always been important not to make assumptions, but I think now we're getting better at, before we start communicating with someone, we're stopping to think about where are they coming from? What do they need from this interaction? Um, yeah. And that's hopefully going to make us better at accommodating everybody and being more inclusive. So, I hope that continues. And I have to say, going back to the, the, we were talking about people learning new skills. We are learning new skills, loads of them, both human skills and professional skills. And of course, it, it's well known for mental well-being that the growth mindset is actually very, very good for mental health. And learning new things is actually, I think, going to sustain us all from the mental health point of view. So yeah. I hope we continue with that. Gwilym, have you learned anything? Well, I still haven't learned how to use my mute button properly. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think actually um, kind of a skill I've learned actually is slowing down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, until two or three months ago, I felt guilty if I wasn't running around madly doing awesome things all the time. I've rediscovered the joy of just, just reflecting a bit more, slowing down a bit. It's, it's enforced on me at the beginning, but I've begun to realise that once I got rid of the whole guilt of thinking I'm not doing something I should be doing, I began to actually rather enjoy it but if i may lee um apart from bringing enormous pleasure to tortoises what have you learned yeah absolutely that i've learned how to, <laughs> how, how to be a dad again is one of the is one of the things i've learned it's it's been you know i've had more time around the family than i've had well, apart from those that have left home and obviously i'm distant from but in terms of the family that are still at home i've had more time with them than i've had in maybe two decades so i've I've learned how to do things at home again at the time when normal people do things at home. I know I'm going to have to let that go at some point. So what I want to take with me is a way of trying to get some balance in the future so that I don't lose 
everything that I've actually, I think I've gained over the last couple of months. Can I share something I've learned? Please? Yeah, go on, Ben. I've, I've been waiting for the in for this, and I think this is it. My wife lays in bed in the morning listening to birdsong, and she finally persuaded me to do the same. And I learned something, which is that it's not just a noise that accompanies or precedes the sunrise. It's actually amazing in its own right. And we took some time to track down which particular bird was making the most noise, but the most melodic noise. And do you know what? It was a blackbird. It was just a blackbird. It was amazing. So I think never take the small things for granted is, um, is probably the takeout from that. Well, thank you all. You've, you've been amazing company. We've, we've come to the end of our time, I'm afraid. So it just remains for me to say, Andrea, Ben and Fran, thank you so much for not just sharing your time with us, but also your experiences. Gwilym, thank you for being great company on these, as you always are. And, um, and for those people who are listening to this podcast, if there are times when you're finding it a wee bit tough, if you resonate with the, um, with the phrase that it's okay not to be okay, but you want to find a way out of that, then obviously IP Inclusive uh, website, ipinclusive.org.uk is a good place to go for some initial resources and some insights into things you might be able to do. And also SEPA subscribes to Lawcare which is an organization promoting and supporting good mental health and well-being, particularly in the legal professions. And you can find Lawcare on their website, lawcare.org.uk. Thank you all again for your time. Stay safe and see you all on the other side. Thank you. Thanks, Lee. Bye. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Bye-bye.